Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. We've been over the last six weeks moving through a series that we've just called Rhythms of Grace and essentially looking at some ancient and God-given rhythms that we can apply to our life that actually help us grow our faith, sustain our faith. Uh, you know, just life was created with rhythm. And when we find a good spiritual rhythm, actually it's healthy for us. It's healthy for those around us. So we used as a little bit of an uh, overarching verse for the series, Jesus' words in uh, the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. And Eugene Peterson has a, a beautiful take on uh, how he paraphrases these words. He says this, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out in religion? Well, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So we've looked at what are some of those rhythms of grace that are a gift from God that allow us to do this life freely and lightly. Sometimes we think about discipline as things that bring pain and things that we just have to do. Whereas when we discover some of the things that God puts in place for us, they're actually for our benefit and our growth and our health to help us do life the way that it always intended. And so today we come to the end of our series, the last message from next week as a little Heads up, we're going to start a series running into Christmas on the life of Joseph, the back part of the book of Genesis. But today I want to talk about a practice that for me, across my life, has probably been one of the most rewarding, but also over time has carried significant levels of guilt at different seasons of my life. Because even though the practice has been very, very rewarding, for me it's not something that's always carried a great consistency or rhythm. And I wonder for many of us whether that's true as well. Because I want to talk about what it means to have a rhythm of engaging with God's Word, of, of diving into Scripture, of engaging with the Bible. Yeah, the reason it's carried guilt at times is if, if we pick a few things that we feel like are going to be spiritual litmus tests or things that define how spiritual or holy we are, we often look for the tangible things, don't we? And often it's been felt that one of the great measures of your own personal holiness is how much you read your Bible. And so at times in my life, I've jumped into this rhythm out of a sense of inadequacy or guilt, not out of a sense of wanting to discover a rhythm of grace that helps me live freely and lightly. I just want to say right from the outset that God doesn't invite us to engage with his word to make any of us feel inadequate or guilty. He invites us to engage in his word so that we can discover life, as Jesus said, in its fullest sense. And so why this rhythm? The first thing I want to say this morning is this, God wants to be known. God wants to be known. Maybe you're here this morning and you're exploring faith and you wonder who God is and how you can discover more of who He is, but God just seems like He's playing some kind of game of cosmic hide and seek. And every time you think of Him, you feel like, well, I don't know how to discover the mystery of all that God is. But as we engage in His Word, one of the things we discover from the beginning of time was that God wanted to be known. 
A few years ago, I ran into a uh, former teacher at this school. I, I, I know their former teacher and I have a large podcast following of about 15 people, but I don't think she's one of them. So I'll tell you this story. She came up to me one day when I was here doing something for the church and she says, oh, I know you and oh, I know your family. I'm like, oh, really? She goes, yeah, we grew up in the same part of the world and um, yeah, I remember you. I said, oh, uh, fill me in. She says, well, I was in class with your brother. I said, really? I'm an only child. I actually don't have a brother, so that's probably a misplaced memory. She said, oh, oh, no. <laughs> no, no, sorry, that one's wrong. I knew your mum, though. She was my doctor. <laughs> now, anyone that knows Jan Main, she's sitting a few rows back there. She's a lovely lady. She's very caring and compassionate, but I probably wouldn't want her taking a scalpel, right, and dealing with any medical conditions because she's not a doctor. I said to this lady, oh, by this stage, I was feeling a little embarrassed for her, to be honest. Um, and I said, oh, look, mum's not a doctor. She said, yes, yeah, she is. <laughs> I, I said, no, 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 she's not. I think you've misplaced your sense of how well you know me. I want to ask, how do we get to know someone? See, some of us know people through their reputation. I reckon one of the, the real reasons the Bible talks into the way that we gossip and we slander and we speak of others is because so many of us discover something about another person through the reputation of what we're told by others. Have you ever been told something about a person and then you've met them and you thought, every preconceived thing I had about you is different? See, sometimes we meet people, we think we know them because of their reputation. Sometimes we think we know them because of other people's stories. But we all know that the best way to get to know somebody is to actually spend time with that person, build our own stories and experiences and sense of who they are. We live in a world that's full of information. So the question is, how do we discern what God is like? Because some of us have formed a view of God based on what others have told us, maybe what we've read in the media or what we've learnt and assumed from popular culture. If you go and ask a lot of people who have no understanding of who God is, what they think He's like, they'll pick up some of the sound bites of some of the articles they've read or what they've told or what they've heard anecdotally about the church. And so often we hear those stories and our heart breaks because we know Him as a God of love and joy and compassion and welcome. Yet so often our culture speaks of Him as a harsh disinterested, authoritarian, who is narrow in his thoughts and morality and actually just brings pain into people's life. But that is not what so many of us know God to be like. You know, one of the reasons we're invited into discovering a rhythm of reading the Word is that if we just allow others and if we allow popular culture to determine our view of what God is like, it's so easy just to go off track. You know, we're not far out from the Christmas season. And you can form a bit of a nativity story around Christmas based on everything you watch on TV and what you see uh, on ads and what you see in people's front yards. But sometimes there's little elements to the story that aren't actually part of the story that have just been added as part of popular culture. Let me give you a few examples. But what, what did Mary ride, onto, ride into Bethlehem on? 
Well, every picture that you'll see of Mary riding into Bethlehem is of Mary on a donkey, but go to the scriptures. The scripture never tells us that she rode in on a donkey. It was a long journey. She most likely was sitting in a cart. She might have been riding on a donkey, but my point is the scripture doesn't actually tell us that. Now, we we all have a picture of the three kings or the three wise men that visited Jesus on the night of his birth. Once again, the scripture doesn't tell us that there were three wise men. There were three gifts that were brought to Jesus, but there might have been 25 wise men. And we also know that their journey there was a long one. And so it was more likely that they turned up somewhere within the first two years of Jesus' life, more than on the night in the stable. But again, popular story and popular culture tells us that that's what happened in the story. If you don't believe me, go back and read the Christmas accounts. It's not in the scripture. Many of us also think that Jesus was the perfect baby. No crying did he make. Let me just tell you, lots of crying I'm sure he did make. Because when you try and make a child live in an overcrowded house with animals around, it probably wasn't a great sleeping arrangement. The Bible doesn't say anywhere, no crying did he make. Away in a manger says that, but not the scriptures. What's my point? These aren't big things. They're not game changers. But if we allow others to tell us what God is like and we don't go to the source for ourselves, it's easy for us to form a picture of something that's not quite right. So here's the invitation. God has gifted you with his word to help you to get to know him for yourself. And that's the why, because God has always wanted to be known. As you read this story, you'll discover that in the very beginning, God appeared to a man named Abraham and said, Abraham, we're going to do something good together. I'm actually going to use you to actually see all people on earth saved and redeemed. Now, Abraham did nothing special. Abraham wasn't holier than thou. Abraham wasn't special, we're told in the scriptures, but God just chose him. Why? Because God's always wanted to be known. When God's people Israel, Abraham's now very extended family, generations to come, the people of Israel are in slavery in Egypt. God breaks into their story and rescues them through a man named Moses, a leader who God appoints. Not necessarily a confident leader, but God doesn't always choose the adequate and the competent. He just chooses the available and the obedient. And so he uses Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and to make himself known to them. Why? Because God's always wanted to be known. And then right in the central part of our scripture, the thing that holds it all together, there's a moment where God himself clothes himself in human flesh and blood and comes as the man Jesus. Why? Because God has always wanted to be known and he's gifted you his word to help you get to know him. God wants to be known. So why are we invited into this rhythm of finding a rhythm of reading God's word? Because he wants to be known. He's not playing hide and seek with you. He wants you to discover more of who he is every day. But more than that, we're invited to jump into a rhythm of God's word because God is still speaking. We live in a very, very noisy culture. There's a lot of noise out there telling you what you should believe and what you should do and what's true and what's right and what's north and what's not. We just live in a world full of information, full of opinion and full of noise. A few years ago, I was playing a game of cards with a few fellas in this room here. And uh, 
There was a controversial call that was made regularly that enabled the team that I was on to win quite consistently. Now, it's a card game that's usually played with four, but we'd expanded it to play with six. And uh, one of the guys said, you, you, can't, you can't call that in a game of six-handed. That's reserved for four-handed. And everyone's like, really? He's like, yeah, look it up. So what everyone do, they Googled it and found on Wikipedia, sure enough, you cannot call this in six-handed. Thankfully, there was one very wise, smart and discerning member of the table that knew that Wikipedia is an open platform encyclopedia that anyone can edit. <laughs> what was found out very soon was one of the sour losing members of the other team had actually edited the rules online to try and convince the rest of us that we were cheating when it was found that really we were just more exceptional than they. What's my point? We live in a world full of noise. What's true? How do we know what's true? If we take our truth from Wikipedia or Instagram or TikTok or the front page of a paper, is that where we're going to base all of our hope and our trust and our belief in what is true? We live in a world of a lot of noise, but here's the thing. God has spoken and God is speaking. And God still wants to speak to you through His Word. 1 Peter 1 says this, Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. In other words, God has spoken, but through His spoken Word, God is still speaking. And so when we engage with the Scripture, we need to engage in a way that helps us understand what we're reading and why it was written. We need to do some work about understanding the context because when Jesus spoke to someone, He was speaking in their world, in their language, in their understanding. And we now come in with a different world understanding instead of you know, the way that we view the world. And if we just impose our culture on top of that, sometimes we'll misunderstand the heart and the meaning and the reason for why Jesus said what He said. So as we understand the context in which those words were spoken, we start to understand the truth of what was spoken. But this is not just a dormant word that was spoken to someone back then. God is still speaking today. His word endures. So as we engage with His word, His living word as it's described, isn't just that which has been spoken, but that which continues to speak. The Bible tells us that through the gift of God's Holy Spirit, God will continue to make alive His Word in your heart so that it becomes relevant to your life, your circumstances, your family, your workplace, the way you use the money, your, the way you use money, the way you approach sex, the way you do relationships, the way you forgive people as they wrong you. Like it's a living Word that still speaks today and God's Holy Spirit brings it alive in our hearts. So God is still speaking. We need to lean into His Word so that we can learn to trust His voice amongst all the noise. So I want to say this. We, we, we listen to God and part of who we are as a church, we recognise that sometimes God, uh, through kind of visions and you know, prophetic prompting, speaks today. But God is always consistent with His Word. If someone ever comes up to you and says, I just have a real sense that God wants to say this to you, if it is inconsistent with what you know God has in this, it's not God. Because God is always consistent with His Word. But how do we know how to discern what is true and what is not? 
if we're not day by day getting to know more of who he is by ingesting this book and letting it shape us. God is always consistent. Finally, God has a good plan for your life. How do you discover it and how do you live it? The 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 to 17 says this, As for you, continue to live, uh, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to this. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's Word has an active place and role in your life, not just so you can discover a God who wants you to flourish. And so when you align your life with God's way, that is the ultimate place where you can learn to flourish in life. But His Word is for more than that. It's an equipping Word that prepares you for the life that He calls you to and the mission that He has you on. It's good for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, the Scriptures say. So that the servant of God or so that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Have you ever been in the ocean on a boat that's got far enough out to sea that you lose sight of the land? It's only ever happened to me a couple of times. But I've been on a couple of boats that have taken us that far offshore that we lose sight of the land. And if you're stuck there in the middle of the day when the sun's in the highest point of the sky and the tides are moving the boat around, you're just drifting in the ocean, having no sense of which direction the boat is facing, you have no idea how to get home. Often we have this confidence that says, well, it's that way. But we don't know that the last time we saw land, it was that way, but the boats drifted and now we want to send ourselves on a course that goes that way when the place we should be heading is over there. God has a plan for your life. But don't just live it as some story that you hope works out. The Word of God becomes a reference point that helps us know not just who God is, but what He wants for us and allows us to walk in step with who He is. The psalmist says this, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That psalm's been put on people's walls and sung in songs, but listen to its word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. In other words, what? Lights the way in which you should walk and a light onto my path gives you guidance for the direction in which you should be heading. I want to give you an invitation this morning. It's this. I invite you to discover God for yourself through discovering a regular rhythm, a rhythm of grace that is engaging with his word. If you don't have one of these books, it would be an absolute pleasure for us to give you a physical copy this morning. Uh, Jump on and download the Bible app where you can get just about every version of Scripture and great reading plans and things that will resource you on your phone. We now live in a day and age where if you're not great at reading, you can download audio versions of the Bible that you can listen to. Whatever it looks like, the invitation is for you to discover a rhythm of engaging in God's Word so you discover God for yourself. 
that rhythm goes a step further. It's more than uh, that, that invitation goes a step further because it's, it's not just an invitation to step into it. It's actually an invitation for you to take responsibility for your own growth and maturity. Anyone here that's a follower of Jesus, don't, no, others can't feed you your whole life. We were up here with the McManuses before and Alaska's at a stage of life where she's still dependent on her parents for everything. Her safety, her care, her food, her sleep and well-being, her comfort, her shelter. Every aspect of Alaska's life rests on Cain and Mia. Big responsibility. But it's not going to be like that forever. As she grows and learns to take ownership of those for herself, there'll be a day where she's not going to want mum and dad to look after her feeding and carry her everywhere. She'll gain an independence as she grows. And that's, that's natural in life. That is what all of us hope and expect to see with our children. It's no different with our faith. Some of us have been following Jesus a really long time, but we're still living very immature spiritual lives. The Bible says this in Hebrews, by this time you ought to be teachers. In other words, you've been doing this long enough that You've been in the system long enough that you should be teaching people some of this stuff now. But you still need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milks, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is, by, is for the mature who by, I want you to say these two words with me, constant use. Who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. God has resourced you to grow up in who he is. This is one of the ways he's done it. He's giving you his word. And he reminds us that as we learn to use it constantly, one of the fruits of that is a spiritual maturity that will enable us to continue to do life well and to grow in the things of God. You can't blame others for your spiritual development. Some of us have roles. I have a role as a pastor and a teacher in this church. I take that role really, really significantly and really uh, seriously. But I don't stand and give account for your life before Jesus one day, you do. God's called me to stand and give account for my life and one day I'll have to give account for the way I've led and the way I've taught. But your maturity is not my responsibility. We all have to take responsibility for our own growth and maturity. So I invite you into discovering a rhythm of God's word for your start. So there's the thinking. Let me ask the question of how do I do it? Because some of you might be sitting here today going, great, I'm going to go home and get it out. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to make a cup of coffee. I'm going to open it up and... I'll just tell you, this is not the best way to start, but you know, maybe that's how you started. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to read. Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? What, what, what on earth am I reading? That was, a, that was a lucky turn. There's some other ones that I probably would have had to skip over. The Bible's not the easiest book to read, okay? It's not the easiest book to read. Why? Because it's been written over thousands of years, thousands of years ago. It was written in a language and a culture and a time 
and a whole bunch of different genres. It's not one book, it's 66 books that have all been pieced together in what we have as this one book. I'm, so as we discover a rhythm, we've also got to understand the book in which we're engaging with because some of us are going to run in with all enthusiasm and be completely overwhelmed day one, day two, day three when we think, well, if others are getting something out of this, all I'm getting is thoroughly confused. So I want to give you some practical things today that are going to help you. Where should I start? If you've never read the Scriptures before, I encourage you to start with one of the books that we know as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Probably Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Because you're going to read the story of Jesus. Jesus says this about himself. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, what we discover about Jesus is true of God himself. And so some of those harder to understand parts of the Old Testament where it feels like God isn't that kind and compassionate. When you read the story of Jesus, you discover that God is really kind and compassionate. And sometimes that just prompts us that we've got some work to do to understand the culture and the context a little bit more. So if you've never read God's Word before, start in the stories of Jesus, the Gospels. More than that, I encourage you to read a chunk of Scripture. You can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. Some terrible Christian theology has been pulled out of this book by people grabbing one verse and building truth out of it. But sometimes we have to read the, a chunk to understand the context in which anything's being said. So start, thankfully someone did the work to actually divide this into verses and chapters. So maybe start with a chapter. Just read a chapter. It's hard to understand, read it again. It's hard to understand. Start with a prayer that says, God, would you just help me understand what it is that I'm reading? Bring your word alive to me today. And then just get in a regular rhythm. What, what I'm going to do this morning for us is I'm going I'm to show as an example a rhythm or, or a little uh, structure that might help you in your Bible reading. Now, I'm going to grab a stool and I'm going to need my phone. Just, do you mind just grabbing me my phone? Because if you just go home and turn it open to some page, you might get completely lost. There's so many great resources that can help you discover and understand God's Word. But let me give you a really simple rhythm. And I want to suggest that sometimes the best thing for us to do is to find a time and find a place. Now, I would never sit on a stool like this. i got comfier places. Actually, the place I love engaging God with the most is when I'm staring at the ocean, staring at a mountain. Now, that's not practical all the time, but... Sometimes it's good to get away to those places. What's, what's a place of non-distraction for you where you can just retreat, even if it's just for a short moment? Maybe it is in your car. Maybe, like me, you've got a really busy family, you've got a lot of kids rolling around, you've got a lot of things that you're running to do and you can't find five minutes of silence or any place of silence or solitude in your house. And so maybe it is in your car and maybe it is an audio Bible that actually just helps you listen to the Word of God and engage with it in that space. I don't know what it looks like for you, but find your place. And then find a little bit of a structure. Let me introduce you to a really simple structure that lots of people have used as they've tried to read. And not just read for the sake of it, but read with the hope of growing through God's Word. It's called SOAP. It's an acronym. And it stands for this scripture. In other words, pick a scripture, grab a chapter and read the chapter. Start with the scripture. As I said, I reckon a great prayer to start with is, God, would you just help us understand your word and bring it alive to us today. And then start with the scripture. O stands for observation. As you read it, what jumps out to you? 
Maybe read it again and go, okay, what, what is there in there that, that it's a, it might be a question, it might be a doubt, it might be something I don't understand. If you're a journaler, write it down. Thirdly, what's something I can do with it? What's an application? James 1 says this, don't just merely read the word, do what it says. You can be an expert in God's word and not apply any of it. And we're about to read a passage that will talk a little bit about that. Finally, P, pray. God, I've read your word. Help it come alive to me. Help me make sense of it and understand it. Help it make a difference in my life today. Help it make a difference in my relationships. Maybe a difference in my attitude towards others in my workplace, in my schoolyard. Bring your word alive to me today. So I thought, as a bit of a different way of finishing today, why don't we do a soak together? Now, I had a little bit of a heads up, so I've done a little bit of work on it because we don't want to sit here for ages. But if you've got a Bible or you've got a Bible on your phone, or even if, if you don't have a Bible on your phone, just go to Google and type in Matthew 7, 21 to 29. Matthew 7, 21 to 29. So you found your place, you found your time, and now you've got the Word open. Let's just, just read this together. We'll start with the prayer. I said, hey, Lord, just as we read this together today, as we, we do a devotion together this morning, Father God, I want to pray that you would just bring this alive to us. Help each of us in our own space discover your truth through your word. Thank you for your word, Lord. Make it real for us today. So then we read. Not everyone who says to me, and these are the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice it's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at His teaching because He's taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. <coughs> you know, I find for myself that sometimes just reading the Word, sometimes things jump out. Sometimes I need a little guide and there's some great resources you can get to stand alongside. I, I read, um, let's give you an example. I've got a hold of a, a set of books written by a New Testament theologian, someone way smarter than me and way smarter than any of you when it comes to the Scriptures. But he's, he's written a series called For Everyone. In other words, he takes the Scripture and then he brings some context and ex explanation to it. And so often I'll read the Word and then I'll jump into someone else's commentary on it just to help me understand it. Let me, let me read what he says with that passage. He says, Within the Christian church, there's always a temptation to ask different questions about people. Are they one of us? People inquire. Do they belong to my party, to our group, to the proper tradition? But parties, groups and traditions have a way of attracting both genuine believers and true prophets on one hand 
and false prophets and hangers on on the other. The only way to be sure is to look for fruit from the tree and to be sure what sort of fruit it is. The fruit cannot simply be showy displays of apparent spiritual power because false prophets can often produce that sort of thing. What counts is something deeper, something more personal. The final warning in this sequence moves our attention to the final day, the day of judgment. And on that day in verse 22 is the first use, but by no means the last in Matthew of a regular phrase which Jesus has transferred from the Old Testament warnings about coming divine judgment to his own warnings about what would happen when God finally acted. Some it seems will have done remarkable things in Jesus' name, but without knowing him personally. Mighty deeds are not a final indication of whether someone really belongs to Jesus or not. There are some who have done them, but who will turn out to be evil workers. What counts will be knowing Jesus, or rather being known by him. What does that mean? Read the rest of the story and find out. So S, we've read the scripture. Maybe we've read a little guide alongside it to to help unpack it a little bit for us. Oh, observation. What do you observe from that passage? Just ask a simple question. What do I observe from that passage? As you read that this morning, what's just one thing that stood out from that passage for you? One question that you might have. Let, Let me tell you what I wrote when I did this this morning. These are the words I wrote. So I read that passage. It reminds me that we can do things for God and not be known by Him. But we can also know things about God and not do things for Him. It may not make sense, but I just thought, you know what? Jesus seems to suggest that there's people that can put on a lot of showy spiritual displays, but there's no basis or foundation to their relationship. He also seems to suggest that you can know a lot about Him, but if you don't build a foundation, the whole thing can come crumbling down. So we can do and not know, and we can know and not do. That was my observation from the scripture. Profound for me, maybe not profound for you. The other thing I wrote was this. Knowing God doesn't necessarily protect us from the storms of life. Isn't that true? And they thought, you know what, I'm a bit of a spiritual high, I'm doing this well, I'm serving in the church, I'm reading the word a lot, I'm helping people, I'm generous. Why is it all going pear-shaped? Well, Jesus seems to suggest that storms are going to come against all of us. The thing that matters is not whether you are, you know, avoid the storms. It's about the foundations you've got in place when the storms come. So those are one of my observations. Knowing God doesn't protect us from the storms. But having a deep foundation helps us stand when the storms come. That's my observation. See, Scripture... O, observation. A, application. Ask yourself the question, what am I going to do with this? You know what? I was challenged as I prepared this message, my little moment of vulnerability as we've done this together this morning, that I personally need to find a more consistent time and rhythm in my own personal devotional life. I read the Bible a lot. It's a bit inherent with my job. But reading the Bible shouldn't be a job for anyone. The Bible should actually be transformative for everyone. So my application, I just need to find more consistent time just to soak in the Word. Not to unpack it, not to dig into its context, but just to soak in it. To allow God to use His Word to speak to me. If you're a journaler, I encourage you, soap's a great thing to journal. Scripture, today I read Matthew 7, 21 to 29. Observations. 
The thing that stood out to me today was that you can do things for God but not know Him. Or you can know things about God but not actually do anything with it. The thing that matters the most is the foundations we put down. A, my application today is I'm going to find more time just to soak in God's Word so my foundations go deeper. P, let's pray. God, thank You for Your living Word. Thank You for the encouragement in Your Word that even when the storms of life come against us, that if our foundation is deep in You, we can stand. Nothing will knock us down. So God, help us to go deeper into You, deeper into the life that You have for us, deeper into Your Word. Father, I pray for all of us this morning that we might find You join this rhythm. It wouldn't be ladled with guilt. It wouldn't be laden with uh, a sense of inadequacy. It wouldn't be something we beat ourselves up against or that we feel like we need to lie to others about to make ourselves sound better and more spiritual than we actually are. But Father, I just pray that reading Your Word wouldn't become an encumbrance, but God, all of us might find a rhythm that helps Your Word come alive, keeps us grounded, anchored, and with a deep foundation in the One who loves us, who formed us, who cares for us, and who desires the best for us. Lord, may we build our lives upon your foundation and upon your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.